Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. The Peter Schiff Show. Well, this is another big week for economic data. It is a holiday shortened week, but on Friday we get the big report the non-farm payroll report of course if it's a good number somehow donald trump will try to take credit for it like he has for the rise in the stock market but i think that the numbers the jobs numbers maybe they're not going to be bad just yet we'll see but i think we're going to have a lot of problems with the non-farm payroll numbers in 2017 as the air starts coming out of this part-time job bubble while Trump is in office. But we did get some economic news today. Most importantly, the minutes from the last Federal Open Market Committee meeting. And what do you know? The members of the FOMC are concerned that maybe they're not optimistic enough when it comes to growth that because of the stimulus packages that may be passed by Donald Trump, that they may be wrong and that the economy could grow faster than they think. And they also were worried that they might overshoot on the downside on unemployment, that unemployment could actually get even lower than what they think. And therefore, that ultra low unemployment may put some upward pressure on inflation. And of course, this is all a Keynesian Phillips curve myth that low levels of employment are unemployment rather are what cause inflation. Ironically, it's the Federal Reserve that causes inflation. And there's going to be a lot of consumer price rises that are the consequence of the inflation that the Fed has already created and that the Fed is going to create. In fact, if we do have a stimulus package that gets through Congress uh, early in 2017, that includes tax cuts 
and government spending increases, which results in a larger deficit, the inflationary forces are not going to be the debt itself, but the Fed's willingness to accommodate those deficits with more aggressive monetary easing. In fact, the complexion of the FOMC is actually going to get more dovish next year as some of the so-called hawks, and of course, none of them are actually hawks. It's all degrees of dovishness. But some of the less dovish members will be leaving and they'll probably be replaced by members that are just as dovish as everybody else. And so I think the Fed will be willing and able to accommodate these deficits. And that is what is going to cause the inflation. But the markets did react a little bit to the release of this data. It was, again, perceived as hawkish. They they talked about maybe we'll have to raise rates quicker than we thought. And of course, I don't think they're going to raise rates at all. Of course, I guess I was wrong about last year. They did raise rates once. Although by the time we got close to that meeting, within a month of that meeting, I was pretty sure that they were going to go just like they went the year before. They did the one quarter point hike in December to kind of, you know, save face. I don't think we're going to make it to December this time without a problem causing the Fed to have to reverse course. But people still think they're going to hike. Some people think maybe March. Some people think maybe June. But despite the Fed now hinting that they may have to raise rates faster, very little reaction in the foreign exchange market. The dollar managed to tick up. The dollar index rose a bit, but then sold off and closed closer to the lows of the day. You know, thus far, the dollar index is down about three quarters of a percent in 2017. So for all the talk of a strong dollar, and the dollar was strong, they're still talking about it, but the dollar is actually losing some ground thus far this year. Gold is up. Gold stocks doing even better. You know, gold stocks are up about 5% so far this year. That's a much bigger rise in the Dow, which is up barely 1%. Still not managing to eclipse the 20,000 level at 19,000. Uh, 940-ish, I think, today. So still about 60 points away. But gold up, dollar down, gold stocks up quite a bit. Uh, So far, the year is not getting off to the type of start that all the experts were predicting. Again, I think the experts are in for a big surprise based on how 2017 is going to shake out. Of course, the best performing asset so far for 2017, and I forgot to mention this in my last podcast, because it was the best performing asset in 2016, and that is Bitcoin. And I know a lot of people have been giving me some crap about Bitcoin, A, because I didn't mention it, and B, because I didn't tell people to buy it. And you see, look, it's gone way up, and so people missed out because I told people not to buy. Look, when I first started telling people to stay away from uh, a Bitcoin, it was about $800 on its way to 1,000 or 1,100, however high it got to. But then it collapsed. It went all the way down to maybe under 200, I think, was the low. I mean, the thing was down 70, 80% from the highs. So there was a big decline. Now we've managed to get back up. You know, when the Bitcoin price collapsed before, we had just gotten to about parity with gold. And that's about where we are today. I mean, I saw Bitcoin above 1100. It was around 1120, 1140-ish at the high. I think right now it's just back below 1100 but it's had a huge move, mainly on the back of Chinese buying. But we almost got up to gold again. I mean, gold was around 1160 when Bitcoin was around 1140 So very close. 
And we could be putting in a double top here when it comes to the gold price of Bitcoin, but who knows? Maybe we'll make an even higher high uh, in, in Bitcoin. Maybe it'll get above the price of gold, but I still don't believe that Bitcoin is going to work as a long-term store of value. I mean, sure, you could trade it. I mean, it's a trading vehicle. And, you know, people have asked me about it. Well, can I buy it as a trade? Well, sure, you could trade it. You could trade anything, right? You could trade pork bellies. You could trade wheat. I mean, there's a lot of volatility in Bitcoin. Uh, so you could certainly trade it as a trading vehicle. But as a long-term store of value, as a monetary substitute, I just don't think it's viable. I don't think it's going to be. I have no idea what, if any, value Bitcoin is going to have five or ten years from now. It'll probably have value five or 10 days from now. It might even have more value than it has now. But that is for speculative traders. That is not for savers who are looking for an alternative to the dollar or the euro or even the Chinese RMB. They should be looking at gold. You know, the advantage that Bitcoin had to gold was the ease with which you could spend it and transact with it because, you know, you didn't have to lug around your gold. You can spend your Bitcoin. You can give bitcoins to other people and so there was a convenience factor that bitcoin had that gold lacked even though bitcoin didn't have the reliable history of being a store of value it did have that going for it well it doesn't have that going for it anymore because thanks to gold money and i've talked about gold money before on this podcast but thanks to gold money bitcoin is no more liquid than gold you can spend your gold using gold money as easily as you can spend your bitcoins so now that you have an alternative to Bitcoin that's just as liquid and as easy to use in, in commerce, but has the reliable store of value that gold has, then what is the case uh, for, for Bitcoin? I don't think there is a case. I do believe that the blockchain technology is real, and I think it has a lot of implications for the future, but I don't know about the value of Bitcoin itself because Bitcoin is just a digital currency. There is no limit to the number of digital currencies that can be created or that will be created. Digital currencies of the future may be more desirable than Bitcoin is today or no digital currencies may be desirable at all unless it's backed by something real. And maybe people can choose what they want their digital currency backed by. Do you want it backed by gold? Do you want it backed by silver? Do you want it backed by oil? There's almost you know, no end to the commodities that you can back your currency with. I mean, people could actually back their currency with stocks if they want or with real estate. I don't think those asset classes are ideally suited to be money, but based on the technology that exists today, you could back your money by almost anything. Why back it by nothing? Digital currencies are basically digital fiat. The only difference between Bitcoin and like the dollar or the euro is there is a theoretical limit to the number of Bitcoins that can be mined whereas they could print dollars to infinity. But there is no limit to the number of digital currencies that can be created. There can be an infinite number of digital currencies competing for uh, you know, that space. And I don't want to encourage anybody to trust their long-term savings. In fact, I think right now a potential double top is there. And if I was a trader, I would be wanting to take a lot of these gains off the table that I might have in in Bitcoin and convert them into gold. In fact, a great way to do that, you can take your Bitcoins and go right to gold money. And you can buy gold using your inflated Bitcoins, your overpriced Bitcoins. You can use those coins 
to buy some gold. And you know what? If you want to keep the trade going, you want to speculate, you don't have to sell all of your Bitcoins. Just sell some of them. Take some of your winnings off the table. It's good to do that in Las Vegas and it's good to do that uh, when you're speculating in Bitcoin. So let some of your profits run and book some of those profits and turn them into gold. And you know what? If we have a repeat of what happened a couple years ago and we go from near parity to gold to Bitcoin being worth 25% of gold, you know, 25 cents on the dollar, well, then you could always sell some of your gold and buy some of your Bitcoins back. I mean, you could trade back and forth, uh, but you got to take profits into this rally. I want to talk about another piece of news that came out earlier this week that really very few people seem to talk about, and that was the German inflation number. And I've been talking about that on this podcast, but I expected those European inflation numbers to come out hotter and eventually be a problem for the ECB and all those people betting on, you know, QE infinity in Europe and the Fed, you know, being the only central bank ending QE and raising rates. I knew that the combination of the weak euro and rising commodity prices, particularly oil, were ultimately going to bubble up into a higher number. And that's exactly what happened. German inflation in December, year over year, was supposed to be 1.3. Instead, it was 1.7. And I think it's going to be a bigger number in January and then in February. I think we're going to hit 2% soon, maybe even get above 2%. And that is a big problem. You know, if you look at a lot of the news stories, this is good news, right? Oh, the Germans are finally getting more inflation. Oh, a little relief from the agony of the cost of living rising too slowly. Now we're getting some success. We're getting a more rapid increase in the cost of living. But remember, their mandate at the ECB, it's all about inflation, right? It's got nothing to do with anything else. It's just inflation. They don't have a dual mandate or a tri-mandate. Their mandate is to make sure inflation now, according to Mario Draghi, is close to but under 2%. Now, I don't know what that means. What's close to but not 2%? I guess 1.9, right? So their mandate is to have inflation of 1.9, which is so ridiculous because if it's 1.8, they're supposed to try to make it higher, And if it's two, they're supposed to try to make it lower. Like you can even be that precise. The whole thing is ridiculous. But 1.8 is not enough and 2% is too much. And and 1.9 is perfect, right? I mean, this is what they're they're trying to get us to believe. But if we get up there, I would even think 1.7 means you better start slowing down. Because if you're at 1.7 and rising and you're still doing QE and you still got zero rates, what's the odds that you're going to stop at 1.9 and not keep on going? They should already be tapping on the brakes right now, given the trajectory of this you know, economic car, yet you know, they still have their QE program going. And when this news came out, I was surprised that the euro didn't rally. The euro sold off on this, although the euro is still up on the year, but it's not up a lot. And I think it should be up more given these higher inflation numbers that are coming out of the ECB, which I believe is going to bring the QE party in Europe to a premature conclusion. And I think the Europeans are going to be winding down or tapering off their QE just as we are launching a whole new round, right? Just as the rhetoric switches from tightening to easing in the U.S., it's going to be switching from easing to tightening in Europe, maybe even to Japan, So this, again, is exactly the opposite of what the currency markets are positioned for, uh, what the metals markets are positioned for. And so I think a lot of people are going to be very surprised by the way this year turns out. You know, also hurting the dollar this year is not just going to be higher interest rates in Europe, 
But look at what the Chinese are doing now. The Chinese are telegraphing that they are not going to be there to support the dollar. In fact, they may be an even larger seller of U.S. Treasuries uh, than people might have contemplated in the past. And, and so far, you know, the yuan has been caught up in this whole dollar bubble, dollar strength. That has been driving it. And by the way, that's also been driving a lot of the flows into Bitcoin has been the Chinese saver concern about the weakening yuan and about capital controls. But if the dollar turns around and the yuan really starts to rise and people stop worrying about it weakening, that will take a lot of support out from under uh, a Bitcoin. And, you know, all these Chinese who have loaded up on Bitcoin because they've all been trying to get through the same door at the same time. What happens if all of a sudden somebody wants out and if their buying isn't there, I mean, this thing could come down much faster than it, than it came up, which is why I would take advantage of the Chinese panic and sell into it. You know, there's an old expression that you want to feed the ducks while they're quacking. Well, there's a bunch of Chinese ducks that are quacking real loud and they want to be fed. So feed them some of your Bitcoin and then take the money they pay you and, and buy some gold. And the easiest way to do it, again, is to make the exchange on the gold money website. If you don't already have a gold money account, establish your account and use Bitcoin to buy your first uh, ounce of gold. You know, I wanted to circle back, though, and talk about jobs again, because we are getting the jobs number on Friday. We're getting the ADP number, which normally comes out today on a Wednesday, but it's coming out tomorrow because the markets were closed on Monday to officially observe New Year's Day to give everybody the three-day weekend. But I think that we are going to be moving you know, in the other direction. You know, it's interesting. The Federal Reserve is worried that unemployment might be too low. Right? They are totally missing the mark here, as is often the case. They're usually wrong. And this is a case where they're worried about, being, about there being too many jobs and about the unemployment rate getting too low. Well, I think it's really going to turn in the other direction, especially if a lot of the people who are discouraged because they've been living under Obama for eight years and they've basically given up hope, um, what happens if they all of a sudden become optimistic and they want to throw their hat back in the labor market? If you go from being on the bench to in the game, if you start looking for a job, you're unemployed now. right? There are millions and millions of people who are not working but who are not unemployed. But if they suddenly believe that things are getting better because Trump is president and now they want their piece of the pie, now they want a job, well, between the time of they wanting a job and the time they get one, they're now unemployed. So we could start to see the unemployment rate picking up as discouraged workers, at least temporarily, get off the bench and come back into the game. But I wanted to talk about uh, the restaurant industry because I was also reading this article up on Zero Hedge that I put on my, uh, my Facebook page about the restaurant market and the restaurant bubble popping. And they put up a good chart of restaurant stocks that really have been going down. And so these stocks could be a leading indicator of what's going to come, you know, a bad harbinger of some job losses because these restaurants have been clobbered not only by Obamacare, which may or may not be repealed. And they're talking about repealing it, but they're also talking about replacing it. And so I like the repeal part. I don't really like the replace part. And I'm not really sure what they're going to replace it with. And they're already trying to like, back pedal and say, well, it might take two years or four years to get rid of it, but don't blame us, right? You know, blame Obama and blame the Democrats for all the problems we're going to have over the next four years because we can't get rid of it quickly enough. Well, you know what? If you don't repeal it right away, then you got to share the blame, right? Because why not? Why, why do it slowly and then say, well, we're going to blame it all 
on Obama and the Democrats when, hey, just get rid of it right now. If it's so bad and it is, just get rid of it. You know, we don't need to replace it. What we need is the free market. That's not a replacement. If you get rid of Obamacare and you replace it with the free market, that's not repeal and replace. That's just repeal, right? What we need to do is repeal and then deregulate. We need to get the government out of healthcare and get the free market back into it. But when they talk about replacing it with something else, I'm thinking of another government program. So let's just get rid of this one big government program and replace it with a bigger or a better government program that's supposedly going to work better and be more efficient. But it's not going to be. There's no way the government can do anything efficiently. That's why we don't want the government doing anything when it comes to healthcare. So all this replacement talk scares me and it's kind of like a coward's way out. Like, we, hey, we really don't want to take this government freebie away. We just want to repackage it so that you're getting the gift from the Republicans as opposed to getting the gift uh, from, from the Democrats. But I want to talk about this article on the restaurant bubble because I could see huge layoffs in the restaurant sector because you know they had big minimum wage hikes last year they've got big minimum wage hikes coming again this year in the meantime over the last couple of years automation there's been a lot of advancements and improvements in you know in robotics and computers and so the cost of automation has come down while the cost of hiring has gone up and so the curves where you do your cost benefit analysis have rapidly shifted in favor of firing people and replacing them. And, you know, I think a lot of restaurants are going to automate. They're going to get rid of their waiters entirely. It's going to be more of, you know, you order and somebody maybe brings the food to the table. That's about it. But you'll order and you'll go or you'll have a kiosk or you'll order from a computer at your table. But I think a lot of restaurants are going to be phasing out the servers and those that still have them will have fewer. Uh, there maybe will be only a certain number of hours of the day where you have a live waiter or waitress. Other hours, it's more self-serve. A lot of restaurants will just go out of business entirely. Um, so I think we're going to have a lot of layoffs in uh, you know restaurants, bartenders. And remember, that's where all the jobs came from during the Obama recovery, right? They're all part-time waiters and part-time bartenders. And I've said this before, an economy that lives by the part-time job dies by the part-time job, or at least the jobs numbers, right? We live by them and we're going to die by them because as we were replacing full-time jobs with part-time jobs, the number of net new jobs was really big because if you're hiring two or three part-timers instead of one full-timer, you're creating two or three jobs instead of one. And of course, if you have two or three jobs instead of one, right? Hey, three jobs have been created, not you know per person, not one job. Well, it's going to work the same way in reverse, when the restaurants start laying off their part-time workers, they're going to be laying off two to three times the number of people that they would have laid off had they just had a full-time workforce. And it means a lot of employee, employees, instead of losing one job, they're going to lose two or three. So it padded the numbers on the way up and it's going to pad them on the way down. So we could be printing some real big non-farm payroll losses. Uh, sometime uh, during 2017. So the unemployment rate could be going up, not only because people are losing their jobs, but because people are coming back into the workforce and because all these part-timers are losing multiple jobs. And so we have big drops in non-farm payroll, increasing unemployment, the opposite of what the Fed is supposedly preparing for. They're thinking they're going to have to raise rates quicker because the unemployment rate is going to be plunging more than they thought. The other, the reverse might happen. They may have to ease 
because the unemployment rate starts backing up. And of course, I believe inflation is not only going to be much higher than what the Fed believes, but they're going to do nothing about it. Rather than raising rates to fight inflation, they'll be lowering rates and doing more QE to fight recession and rising unemployment. They will surrender to inflation because they don't even think inflation is bad. They actually want inflation. And so the markets, the gold market, the currency markets are are positioned for the complete opposite of what's going to happen. Anyway, I will be back uh, and do a podcast probably on Friday or Saturday morning to go over the non-farm payroll report. This will be the last report of the Obama presidency, and this will give way uh, to the Trump presidency and uh, the report that we get uh, for the following month. Today's financial advisors behave like pro-wrestling TV commentators. They scream that the recovery is strong, debt is manageable, inflation is low, and that the Federal Reserve has everything under control. They may be oblivious, but the danger is real. Looking beyond the media hype can open a world of broader investing ideas. Euro-Pacific Capital is a registered investment advisor that offers stock-focused wealth management services that closely follow the strategy of our founder and CEO, Peter Schiff. We concentrate on those countries that are more closely in tune with Peter's vision of how capitalism is supposed to work. And these investments are not hard to find, provided you know where to look. Isn't it time you change the channel and let Euro-Pacific put a little reality back into your portfolio? If you live in the United States and have $25,000 or more to invest, call 800-727-7922. That's 800-727-7922. Non-U.S. residents access similar strategies through Euro-Pacific Bank at europacbank.com. Euro-Pacific Capital and Euro-Pacific Bank are affiliated companies. Hello, this is Peter Schiff. I bet you didn't know that without silver, you wouldn't be hearing this podcast right now or be able to use a computer at all. From laptops to smartphones to TVs to speakers, virtually all modern electronics use silver to conduct electricity. Did you know that the average solar panel uses two-thirds of an ounce of silver to function? And the solar industry is expanding dramatically, not just in America, but in booming developing nations like China and India. Silver is naturally antibacterial and is used extensively in modern medicine. Silver coatings are being added to breathing tubes, bandages, catheters, and other medical instruments to reduce the spread of infections. When antibiotics fail, silver still works. I believe the 21st century will be the century of silver. As fiat currencies continue to collapse and new uses are found for silver every day, the white metal's strong industrial demand and low per ounce price will make it increasingly attractive to savers around the world. At today's prices, people of any age and background can afford to buy some silver. Learn why silver is a smart and reliable investment in my free special report, The Powerful Case for Silver. Visit shiftsilver.com and download it now. The Powerful Case for Silver includes information about silver's amazing chemical properties. It also explains why I believe silver may outperform gold in the coming years. Download The Powerful Case for Silver and educate yourself, your friends, and your family about the white metal. Just visit shiftsilver.com to download my free report. That's shiftsilver.com.